It's part two of Where the Road Takes Me, and I'm in Castletown Bear this evening. Well, at least a few miles west of it, in the townland of Gower. My guest is Vincy Harrington, or Vincy Gower, one way of differentiating between the many Harrington families on the Bear Peninsula. With the exception of 11 years, Vincy has lived here all of his life, and who wouldn't, with an amazing view and a different version of it offered on a daily basis by nature. Well, employment opportunities in Ireland were scarce, to say the least, from the years following World War II. Thousands of Irish people took the boat to England, and so did Vincy Gower. Manchester first, and then I met John Rowe, he was back here from Killahock, John Sullivan, his wife was drowned there in Lingarity lately now, she was sister Jerry Blackmore, and John had several sisters, married around Birmingham, he went down, and I went down with him, and I was there for three or four years, and I wound up in London, and I was there, and I came home, there was no bar getting a job in the building, tried at him, pipe jobs, and lots of people from home, I used to meet people after Mass Sunday, in front of Quakes Road Church, I used to meet more people than I'd meet in town, they were all over there, people, yeah, there was Mass, there was nothing here in the, in the line of the fishing that time, there were a few small boats, Second-hand Scottish boats, a few 56, but they were very small, and they had no hospital rank. The biggest engine here was 152 Garner, and you'd have it in a motorboat now, like, the power they had. They had no power, they had no, but the place was full of fish, but if they had the boats they have now, massive hospital. Larry Murphy was 3,500 hospital. They had no, they had no hospital, but they were full of fish. There was fish everywhere. Six weeks before Christmas, 68, I came home. Being a very busy and large fishing port, Castletown Bear and the Bear Peninsula has had many sea tragedies, and Vincent remembers one of the many occasions he was involved in searching for missing seamen. I was with Sean Cather one year, back in fishing, and Sean bought the St. Gervais from Kieran Diskett, and he was fishing in the Pocket Pine Bank away west. I was never in the trawl as much. I wrote a few trips that's all, but fishing small boats. I was mackerel fishing in Garnish, and I went into Sean's one evening, he said that a Spanish trawler after going in the rocks, in the wrong car, it was very bad weather. All the trawlers were inside in Danish, and it was blowing for three or four days, and there was no helicopter, and no lifeboat, so it was blowing for two or three days, and the Spaniard was above the rocks, and she was roaring over like that. She used to roll up, the sea comes, she rolled back down, and there were 16 Spanners, and the captain, 17 of them on board her, on top of the rocks there in the wrong colleague. So the Navy wouldn't sign in Lawrence's Cove, and they sent a rib down with two sailors in it, and it was, I think it was after dark, and they never came back. They went down, and whatever happened, the rib got capsized, and the alarm was raised that they were missing. So we went east from town, a gang of us, Sean Cather and myself, Don Neil over here, Danny Boy. Cather, Mickey Road, and Dennis Driscoll. We went over all along the shore, and they said, they washed the shore somewhere in Azagol. But we went down to Rini Heights, the pier in Azagol went down there, and we walked out, and we found the rib. It was inside in a crack, between two rocks, and it was wrecked. There was no floor in it, but there was no sign of the two sailors. But in the meantime, one of them had scrambled the shore. When she turned upside down, she had two outposts hanging in the stern, but one of the outposts had gone to stem, and she was, there was no floor in it, and it was punctured. So Dennis Driscoll ran, ran down, and he put a rope on, was rings on the side of it, he put a rope down and quick, and we hauled it up into the field, but they didn't find us, the Navy man, until he was over crossing Sheep's Head. You see, the way the wind was blowing, everybody thought that he'd be ashore on the, the Adrigal shore, but he had a life jacket on him, he must have gone away down the harbour with the tide, and when the tide turned, he sailed out Bansley Bay, and he was, he was sailing out the bay. While we were there then, I think it was, this was about nine o'clock at night, we saw this flashing light coming up. We had no lifeboat, but they sent for Valencia, Valencia lifeboat came, and Baltimore, the two of them came, so the only time the two lifeboats were in town together, and they couldn't go near the rock, they couldn't do nothing. They were steamy around it, they couldn't come near, 
And the next thing, the Sea, the sea King helicopter, she was an RAF helicopter, she came up the harbour, you could see the lights flashing. They took off the spanners, the whole atom and landed on shore. And the other sailor, he scrambled ashore, and I suppose he didn't know the area. There was a road going up, a dreamy height. He went up through the bushes and briars, and he got onto the main road. And when he got up to the main road, the squad car was going across above. He came up to him, was driving it, and he flagged him down. And he brought him into the hospital, he was all right. The other fellow died, he, he died of exposure. He was, he was dead when they found him in the morning. Having had so many sea tragedies down through the years, it was agreed that a lifeboat and a lifeboat station was a priority for Castletown Bear. Although they were eventually successful, it would prove to be a difficult and lengthy campaign involving quite a lot of hard work to get one. We all got together, I know myself and Sheila. I was 29 years with them, with the lifeboat, collecting for them. We was got to Kinmare, collecting art from the fairs and around the town that they got there. We collected their pile of money. Eventually, they got a lifeboat. And it arrived 30 years, just gone now. We have it here 30 years. They got a brand new lifeboat then. They had one on trial first for a bit. And they done all kinds of fundraising, but they had no station. It was in the prefab they were staying in Deanish Island. And the lifeboat was anchored out in the, where the Navarro's boy was. And they started to get a punt and come out. And it was all time-consuming. So eventually they got their own station. They built a new station and she was tied up in the, the jetty next to the station. They could be out in three or four minutes. They got a car. They were gone right away. On the night of December 22nd, 1968, the Seaflower trawler left Kilmackalogue Harbour just inside the Kerry border and was heading back to her home port of Castletown Bear. Weather-wise, the night was atrocious with a storm on the way. Sailing between Dursey Island and the mainland is treacherous at the best of times, but tonight it would be lethal. Unfortunately, the seaflower never got that far. The owners of the local pub in Kilmackalogue did offer to drive the crew home, but the offer was refused, as they wished to have the trawler moored up in Castletown Bear over Christmas. Nobody will ever know what exactly happened, but unfortunately what we do know is that the seaflower hit rocks in Kinmare Bay and sank. All five crew on board were drowned. Skipper Michael Crowley from Bear Island, Bernie Lynch from Castletown Bear, John Michael Sheehan from Dursey Sound, and his first cousin, Noel Sheehan from Dursey Island. Niall Crilly, who had just joined the boat, was from Cork City. He was 16 years of age and went fishing against his parents' wishes. Just a short few weeks before the tragedy, Vincey Gower met local Castletown Bear boat builder Jim Fitzgerald on the pier in Castletown Bear. Jim Fitzgerald couldn't have known it at the time, but he probably saved Vincey's life by the short conversation that they had. Yeah, I was on my way down the pier. First of all, I met an old Sheehan, and he said, there's a bird going in the seafloor. So I said, I got on, and I was, they were all aboard the boat, but oh, there was four of them. Young Dinch, the two Sheehans, and Mike Crowley. So on my way down, there was the old pier. Jim Fitzgerald, the boat builder, was coming up. I knew him well, because he'd done a few jobs on the boat for me. I had a small boat. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going down there, the bird going with Mike Crowley. He said, Charlie Maratti's boat is for sale above there. He said, she's going cheap, go up and buy her. He jumped in the car with me, and I went back up. I bought Charlie's boat. And the rest is history. Seaflowers last six weeks after. They left Kilmackalogue. They left Kilmackalogue. The two, the, the Albera was there as well, but she left early. And there was a bad forecast. And the people in the pub wanted to drive some to leave the boat and drive them home. And they said no, that they, they wanted the boat in town over the Christmas. So they, they left Kilmackalogue. 
and headed. And she was a big boat. She was 71 feet. She was the biggest boat in town. She was 71 foot long. Mm. Fine. She was a fine ship. She was wooden, was she? Wooden, yeah. yeah. And the Arbera was only 56, but she was brand new. She was not being built. The Arbera came around into town, and they were in town, and over in Collaris, they could see the flashing light on top of the rock. And there was a Dutchman there, Locke was his name. He was there. He had a, he had a steel boat. She was like a tug. And he was going to go out, and he contacted the guards in town, and the guards contacted Dennis Siskel, and they were not by road. They were not by road. I know who. They were not, and they went to squat car, and the lights were still flashing on top of the... They were, they were on the rock this time, and this was 11 o'clock at night. But the weather was getting worse all the time. It started southeast, it moved southwest, and now it was northwest. And it was a roaring storm, a hurricane. So they went out and they looked out and they said, there's only one cure for it. The Arbera was new. Paddy Orton and Dennis Diskill went around the tomb. And they didn't half night. They, they only barely made it through the sound. And once they got through the sound, they were going ahead of the weather going down and they went down. But there was nothing when they got there. And Villinche arrived, but they came down. It was the old type of life, but they hadn't Villinche that him. She arrived there at six in the morning, and there was nothing. Only planks and wreckage stuff there. They found nothing. Yeah, they were all washed ashore. She was a complete wreck. There was nothing, nothing left. Yeah. All five were found. Yeah. Twelve o'clock the following day, Crilly, this young fellow came down from Cork, and his parents were in Spain, they were on holidays. The father was a vet, and he wanted to go fishing. And they didn't want him to go fishing. But he came down, and he got a bet with Mike Crowley, and he was, he was the youngest. Bernie Lynch, Mike Crowley, the two Sheens, and Crilly. And there were all bots of the church in town. It was the, the day before Christmas Eve. And we had a poor feller. We would be up the church steps. And my Crowley's uncle was next to me, John Jack. He was his uncle, John Jackal from Berend. We would be up the church steps and the next thing, there was no lights. The lights went off. Poor feller. My Crowley was buried in, in, in Adrigold. The Sheehans were buried over and Crowley's body was brought away to Cork. But they had all kinds of inquiries in what happened. And there was no survivor, so nobody knows what happened. Did the engines fail or what? We don't know what happened. But when she hit the rock, some say she turned around and she headed back for Kemakaro. They don't know. But when she hit the rock, there was a channel cut through the rock with her keel. You could see the channel where the keel cut through the rock. And if she if she rolled into it, I think she must have been steaming. They were probably going back maybe to Kemakaro. To, no, there was no survivor, so there's no... Of course, no GPS then. So no. they didn't really know where they were. No, no. They had life jackets and a punt. They lanced the punt, but the punt was very small. And they were big, they were big men, they were with a lot of weight in the punt. They found the punt, but the punt was from the, the seats up, was gone. She must have turned upside down and gone ashore somewhere. It's a well-known fact that when fishermen are in trouble at sea, their colleagues will drop everything and go to their aid. One of the talking points from the Seaflower tragedy was the bravery of the crew of the Ard Bearer on that night. Remember, they had already left Kilmackaloke Harbour and returned safely to Castletown Bear. Now, in what was a smaller vessel than the Seaflower, they took to sea again, sailing back through the treacherous Dursey Sound and into Kinmare Bay, hoping that they could locate and rescue the Seaflower crew. Many still talk about the bravery of the late Paddy Harrington, who owned and skippered the Ardbearer, as well as Dennis O'Driscoll, a member of a well-known fishing family in the area, and a local crew, all who risked their lives that night in the hope of rescuing their fellow seamen. Unfortunately, their brave efforts were in vain. They were rushed off a black ball, Dennis Driscoll. Uh, Paddy was in the controls and Dennis was in the wheel. And when the sea used to come, they was to close her down and then open her up again. And as sea came, anyone hit her and she jumped up. She jumped out of the water completely. And when she came back down, Dinny Lowney, he didn't gone out, he buried in Carmore. Dinny told me he was in the engine room. Dennis Driscoll told him, go down the engine room and stay there. 
And he said the batteries jumped out. They weren't inside in the box. Two big batteries. They were inside in the box. And they jumped out of the box and turned upside down. And then he said, I put them back into the box before the acid would, if the lights went, they had no hope if the lights, mm-hmm. they were depending on them. So he said, I put them back in and we managed to get, they were a long time gone to the dirty. And once they got to the crowhead, they went out the sound, they were, the weather was behind them, then going down Kinmare Bay. But when they got there, they didn't get there until six in the morning. There was nothing left. The lifeboat just arrived the same time from Valencia. They found nothing. Wreckage everywhere. They found the punt. There was nothing in the punt. And eventually, daylight came. Daylight came. You didn't have light till about eight o'clock. They were going along the shore in the lifeboat. They found the bodies. All except Crelly. They didn't find him, but he was way down Kinmare. He was way down to the house, way down east. He'd suffered way farther than the others. And he was found about 12 o'clock in the day. He was the last to be found. And he wasn't long dead. She'd have told me that the body was still hot when they got it. So he must have lived right through the night. I bought Charlie's boat and I went over there to Kilmackerog dredging to Colrus. I went dredging and I said to John Shea, I had a cartina car, I bought from England. I said to John, you win the car over and I got on with the boat. I went all around and John wanted to go out and see where the safer He went up, I landed him on top of the rock and we went out to the rock. The cups and saucers and the plates that were in the trawler were inside in the cracks in the rocks. She told they were all in pieces. So she must, have, she must have broken up in pieces on top of the rock before she, she rolled over the rock. And uh, I was over in Patrick Archer's in Kinmare one day, and Patrick told me that his brother Joe dived down sometime after this, and he said there was hardly anything left. The keel and the engine, everything else was, was gone. Being a wooden boat didn't stand a wooden, chance. Yeah, they had no chance, yeah. no, no. I mean, the Spanish started went on the rock, she's still there. She was still like a different, but a timber boat, it didn't last known at the time. There is no doubt but that the Seaflower tragedy was the springboard for a lengthy and vigorous but successful campaign to have a lifeboat station in Castletown Bear. Since its arrival, the lifeboat and its mainly voluntary crew have saved many lives. The most famous rescue happened 16 years ago, in 2007, when the lifeboat went to rescue two men reported to be in the water in Dunlop Bay. That call-out evolved into more than a rescue, but also what was to be one of the biggest drugs haul in the history of the state. Coming up in part three, more lifetime stories from Vincey Gower, including an eventful journey to Skibbereen to collect a stone crusher. All that will follow the break, which is on the way. <laughs> 